let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis <coughs> chapter 41. Genesis 41, but we'll actually go back to chapter 40 to begin reading this morning. <coughs> Genesis chapter 40, and we'll start at verse 18. Genesis 40, verse 18 says, And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof, that the three baskets are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, and he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it came to pass, at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by a river. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and spend some time this morning uh, around your word. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning as we continue to study the life of Joseph, that you would uh, teach us, that you would instruct us through your word, uh, that Lord, today we would uh, be refreshed and blessed, and that Lord, we would see you in all your glory. Uh, Lord, I pray that you empower me now through the Spirit, wisdom and guidance that I speak. Lord, I pray that everything I say this morning would be from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as chapter 41 uh, begins, we see that Joseph has spent another two full years in prison since he interpreted the, the dreams of the butler and the baker, which, of course, we looked at last Sunday evening. Now, they shared their dreams with him. He He'd given them the interpretation, and exactly as he had said, exactly as God had revealed unto him, three days later, those things came to pass. The, the butler, of course, was restored to being the king's uh, cupbearer, and the baker was executed. You know, even though the butler had witnessed Joseph's interpretation come perfectly to pass, it was 100% correct, he had immediately forgotten about Joseph, hadn't he? He'd forgotten about him. And Joseph had now spent a further two full years, as it says there in verse 1, and it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. Two more years have gone by. Two full years he is spent in prison. And you know, once more what we see is Joseph suffering unfairly, don't we? He's suffering unfairly. You know, the butler really should have remembered him. It was the very least he could do is that when he was restored to his position before the king, is remember this one who had served him while he was in prison and also interpreted his dream that had come to pass. The very least he could do is remember him. But he'd forgotten all about him. You know, while, uh, sorry, when Joseph realized that he had been forgotten, you know, he once more would have faced the temptation to become bitter, to become angry, at his situation, to become angry at the butler, to become angry even at God. That was the temptation before him. You know, it would have been very easy for him now to finally, after all these years, just become discouraged and give up. And many of us would have given up long before this. You know, as we mentioned last Sunday, even though the butler forgot him, 
The wonderful truth is that God hadn't forgotten about Joseph. God knew exactly where Joseph was. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. You know, God was still in control of this situation. And even though it seemed like Joseph's good had gone unrewarded, God was about now to, uh, to bless him abundantly. God was going to bless Joseph by fulfilling his purpose in Joseph's life. You know, Joseph had been sold into slavery when he was 17 years old. And now he's 30, as we come to chapter 41. And so he has suffered for 13 years. For 13 years, God has been preparing Joseph for this day, for this moment. Now, for 13 years, he has suffered affliction. You know, he was sold by his own brothers into slavery, lost it, losing all of his freedom, taken down into Egypt, a foreign country. He's serving in Potiphar's house, and then he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. And now to top it all off, he's been forgotten by the butler. But you see, in God's perfect timing, God is now going to bring him out of prison into the palace. You see, all of this was still under God's control. And God is now about to demonstrate his sovereignty. You know, and, we, and we'll look back and see his sovereignty. You know, we have the, the benefit of seeing the whole chapter, the whole story together. Joseph doesn't right now, does he? But as this all comes to pass, he can see God's sovereign hand in his life all the way through these 13 years of suffering. As God now brings Joseph out of the prison and into the palace. And so we see, first of all, here this morning, Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh's dreams. Let's just read verse 1 again. It says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years, the Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Excuse me. Now, once more in the life of Joseph, we see that dreams uh, play a vital part, don't they? You know, he himself had had two dreams when he was 17 years old and he shared them with his family. The butler and the baker have had a pair of dreams they shared with him. And now we see Pharaoh has a pair of dreams that he shares with Joseph. Dreams play an integral part in Joseph's life and what God is doing with Joseph. And so this time it's Pharaoh that has these dreams and, and he is troubled by them. And we know the story well, but we'll breeze through and look at the, the dreams here that Pharaoh has. His first dream is recorded for us here in verses 1 to 4. Let's just read it there. Then in verse 1 it says, And behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favoured kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favoured and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kine upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favoured and lean-fleshed <coughs> kine did eat up the seven well-favoured and fat kine, so Pharaoh awoke. And so his first dream, as we know, I'm sure most of us know the story well, his first dream involves two groups of seven cattle. And of course, the first group of seven are well fed, they're healthy, they're strong, and they come up out of the, the Nile and, and they're feeding beside the river there in the lush meadow. That's what Pharaoh sees in his dream. And as he continues to look, he then sees a second group of seven cattle come up. And of course, they are the complete opposite to the first, aren't they? They are malnourished, they are sickly. 
And they come up, they stand beside the healthy fat cows and they turn and unexpectedly they turn and they proceed to eat the healthy cows. They devour them, verse 4 says. It says, and the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up or devoured the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. Now, this is a very strange and somewhat disturbing dream, isn't it? Okay, and, and Pharaoh, as a result, it says in the end of verse 4 that he, he awoke, and it's the idea he's startled awake here by this dream. He's startled awake by what he's seen, and he's troubled by it. But though he is troubled and confused by this first dream, he is able to go back to sleep. And of course, then he has a second, a second dream, which really adds to his trouble, okay, his troubled spirit. Verse 5, it says, And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And so now he falls back to sleep and he has a second dream. Very similar to the first dream, except now he's looking up on a field. And as he looks at this field, he sees this stalk of grain growing up. And on this stalk, there are seven ears of corn, it says, but it's talking about wheat, okay, or grain. Okay, seven ears of wheat that grew full and fat, full and good, okay, healthy. You know, as with the cows, there then grows up a second stalk with seven ears of grain or wheat that are blasted. They're withered by the wind. And these withered ears of grain, of course, turn and swallow the seven strong ears of grain. You know, at the end of verse 7, it says, Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. You know, the idea is that these dreams were so vivid, that it wasn't until he woke up that he realized, oh, it's just a dream. That's how vivid this dream was, how realistic it was to him. And it startles Pharaoh awoke, awake again, just like the first dream. You know, now as he, he lies awake, Pharaoh considers the dreams, doesn't he? As we all would have. He considers the fact that these two dreams are very similar. They're very similar. You know, in both dreams, there's two groups of seven. The first group is prosperous. The second group, unprosperous. And in both dreams, the strong are devoured by the weak. And so Pharaoh can see the similarities, can't he? Between these two dreams, and it's troubling him. And what's even more troubling is the fact that these dreams relate to two aspects of Egyptian economy. You know, their, their fields, their, herd, uh, their crops, sorry, and also their herds, their animals. And together, these two represent the lifeblood of the land and its people. And so it's no surprise that, you know, he is troubled by this, so much so that the next morning, Pharaoh calls for his magicians, he calls for his wise men to come, so that they might interpret his dream. Let's just read there in verse 8. It says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh, he sensed that these dreams meant something. He sensed that this was more than just, you know, his subconscious, you know, just having wacky, wild dreams, he sensed there was something to them. And so he turns to those who claimed to be able to interpret dreams, his wise men and his magicians. He turns to them for help. 
you know, one after another, they come before him and he relates his dreams. And one after another, verse 8 says, there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. No one could give him, give him an answer that was satisfactory, that satisfied him. You know, they didn't serve God, and so the meaning of the dream was hidden from them, wasn't it? It was hidden from them because they didn't serve the Lord. You know, even this, this meeting, this audience, if you like, with the magicians and the wise men, as Pharaoh is sharing his dream, dreams with them, even this serves a purpose in the eternal plan of God, doesn't it? Because you see, as they come before him and Pharaoh is having this meeting, he's telling them his dreams and they're saying, we have got no idea what it really means. Standing by, watching all this take place and listening as this takes place is none other than the butler. You see, this is planned and designed by God. It's his sovereign hand, his sovereign will. And that's our second point this morning. We see now the butler remembers Joseph. The butler remembers Joseph. Look there in verse 9. It says, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. You know, the butler's there, and he hears Pharaoh speaking about his dreams. He witnesses the failure of the wise men, the failure of the magicians to give him an answer. And now finally, after two years, finally, he remembers Joseph. Now to us, to man, this seems to be two full years too late, doesn't it? This is two years too late. He should have remembered him two years earlier. Now how could he forget Joseph for two years? It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It seems beyond comprehension that he could do this. You see, it was all according to God's perfect timing. You see, God uses Pharaoh's dreams here to trigger the butler's memory. And it was God's perfect timing. It wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. It was exactly when the butler needed to remember. It was exactly when he needed to relate this to Pharaoh. It was God's perfect timing. Commentator Wearsby writes this, Since the time had come for Joseph to be delivered from prison and given a throne, God prodded the cupbearer's memory so he could recall what had happened to him in prison. Now God prods his memory at this time. This is the moment that God needs him to remember. God prods his memory. And in verse 9 to 13, we see the butler now relates his time in prison and he relates about this young Hebrew servant that he had met. Let's just read it, verse 9. Then spake the chief butler unto the Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day, Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream did he interpret and it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Now the butler finally remembers. And he relates to Pharaoh his time in prison. And how he'd met this young Hebrew servant who was able to interpret his dream. You know, the part that would have impressed Pharaoh most is verse 13. He says, and it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. He says to Pharaoh, Joseph's interpretations 
had been 100% correct. Now, with these words, the butler here is giving Joseph a glowing recommendation, isn't he? He's recommending him to Pharaoh as the answer to his problem, as the solution he needs. You know, we can immediately now see why God allowed the butler to forget for two years until this point in time. If you think about it, had the butler remembered before this, if he'd told Pharaoh about Joseph when he was first restored to office, there was no pressing need or reason for Pharaoh to bring Joseph out of prison, was there? If he told him as soon as he came back into, into Pharaoh's audience, told him about this young man, Pharaoh may have called him for curiosity's sake, but there's no pressing need, there's no reason for him to call for Joseph. The commentator Goetz wrote this, wrote this, he said, had Joseph come before Pharaoh two years before, chances are it would have only been because of the king's curiosity. There would have been no personal need or sense of urgency in his own heart. You see, the difference now is that Pharaoh needs Joseph, doesn't he? He needs him. He needs someone to give him an interpretation and Joseph is the only one who can give him the answer. And of course, he's the only one because of God. See, God's timing means that Pharaoh has also the, the failure of the wise men. I mean, they've all come before him. They've all had their chance. They've all failed miserably. And so he has their failure to compare with Joseph's success, doesn't he? Now, again, if he caught him two years earlier before him, there's nothing to compare him to. There's nothing to demonstrate the difference. But now as Joseph is comes before him, as we'll see in a moment, Joseph is able to show clearly God and God's wisdom and God's might uh, as he interprets the dream. And of course, ultimately, this leads to Joseph being lifted up out of prison to being second in command over all of Egypt. It's because Pharaoh sees Joseph's wisdom, which of course comes from God, that he exalts him. He sees the difference between Joseph and his wise men, his magicians. And so God's timing is perfect, isn't it? God's timing is perfect. It brings Joseph before Pharaoh at exactly the right moment. It's not too early, it's not too late. It's exactly when God intended. You know, so once more we see this truth, and we've seen it repeatedly throughout Genesis, haven't we? This truth that God is sovereign. God is in control. And that God's timing is always best. You know, as believers, we're often impatient, aren't we? If we're honest, we are very impatient at times as believers. You know, we want things to happen immediately. We want an answer to our prayer now. And we want an immediate answer. We want a definite answer now. You know, we want to see God move things along quicker. They seem to be taking too long to get there. Lord, move it along. You know, we're frustrated because that trial is continuing for a little bit longer. We're frustrated because our training's taking longer than we want. We just want to get to the end. You see, like Joseph, we have to learn patience, don't we? We have to learn patience. We have to learn to wait upon the Lord. Yeah, Romans 12, verse 12, it tells us that we have to be patient in tribulation. Continue in instant in prayer or faithful in prayer that perfectly describes joseph doesn't it patient in tribulation 13 years he suffers 
patient. In tribulation, faithful in prayer, faithfully just looking to the Lord during that whole time. Likewise, Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. See, Joseph, he learnt this truth, didn't he? He learnt this truth and, and we've seen it as we've looked at this whole time, these 13 years, we've seen this patience, haven't we? We've seen his heart attitude all the way through this. He learnt this truth. And beloved, we need to learn this truth as well. We need to learn patience. We need to learn to wait upon the Lord. And trust that he knows best. And you know, just like Joseph, when we learn that, we will see that God doesn't ever let us down, does he? God doesn't let us down. And indeed, he didn't let Joseph down. God is sovereign, and now Joseph is remembered before the king, and immediately now, he is called before Pharaoh. And that's our third point this morning. We see Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Look in verse 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent... And called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh has listened to the butler's glowing recommendation concerning Joseph. And Pharaoh has been impressed. Impressed enough that he immediately now sends for Joseph to be brought out of prison and stand before him. And you know, this in and of itself, again, speaks to us of God's handiwork. You know, think about it. Why should Pharaoh take the advice of a prisoner? That's what he's going to do. Why should Pharaoh take the advice of a prisoner? You know, at any other time in his life, Pharaoh would have been offended at the very suggestion that he seek advice from a Hebrew prisoner. But he's in a place where he needs Joseph, and he needs Joseph's God. He has nowhere else to turn, and so he calls for Joseph. At the end of verse 14, we see Joseph, he has an opportunity to shave and to make himself presentable, and he comes in now and he stands before Pharaoh. In verse 15, Pharaoh tells him why he's called him. Verse 15, it says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Pharaoh says, Joseph, I've had a dream and no one's able to give me an answer. No one's able to give me an interpretation. But I've heard that you have the ability to interpret dreams. I've heard that you have this gift. What's Joseph's response to this? Look in verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Isn't his answer here magnificent? You know, Joseph, he spent 13 years suffering, a lot of that time in prison. He's now finally before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's basically just, you know, commended him, you know, puffed him up, said how great his ability is. Joseph could have been tempted in that moment to think, all right, I'm going to seize this chance to get everything I can out of this. Seize this opportunity to make a bargain with Pharaoh for his life, for his freedom. Morris writes this, Joseph might well have felt very flattered to be addressed by none other than Pharaoh himself. Furthermore, he might have been tempted to bargain with Pharaoh. He was possessed of a unique ability and this ability was in very high demand right at that moment. 
he could at least have extracted a promise for his freedom and perhaps a considerable fee in return for granting Pharaoh's request. You see, many others in a similar situation, that's exactly what we would have been thinking of ourselves and our situation and how this can benefit me. And before I tell you, Pharaoh, I want some assurances that I'm going to get this out of it. Joseph could have seen this as an opportunity for personal gain, to ease his suffering, to finally see some good in his life. He could have taken matters into his own hands, but instead he immediately says to Pharaoh, I don't have any ability at all to interpret dreams. He says there in verse 16, And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. Basically, he says, I can't do it. He's just shot himself in the foot, hasn't he? He says, I can't do it. But then he proceeds to say, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I can't, but God can. See, Joseph's concern, even now, is not himself. Even now, his concern is God, that God gets the glory. And so even now, as he stands before Pharaoh, he points Pharaoh, and indeed all those who are listening, he points their attention towards God. He points them to see God in his glory, to see his power, his might, his omniscience. Joseph's concern is not for himself, but that God would be glorified. And beloved, as believers, that must be our concern as well. That God would receive the glory in everything that we do. Now the psalmist expresses this truth well in Psalm 115. Just turn over there. In Psalm 115 verse 1... It says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. The psalmist expresses it really well. Glory belongs to the Lord. We must always give God the glory for the wonderful things that he does in and through us. We are simply his servants, aren't we? We're simply his servants, and, and without him, we can do nothing. So all glory belongs to him. It must go to him. You know, Paul, he expresses this truth well in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just turn over there. First <clears throat> Timothy 1, and in verse 12. We read this, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 12, God enabled me. I'm just, I'm just an unworthy vessel. And he points the attention to the Lord. He says, the Lord enabled me for the ministry. Paul understood that God gave him the ability. And beloved, the same is true in our own lives. God is the one who calls us and God is the one who enables us 
as believers. And therefore all glory goes to him. We must always give glory back to him in everything that we do, just like Joseph, just like Paul. Give glory to God. And that's what we see Joseph do here. He points their attention off himself. He points their attention to God. And it's only once he's done that that then he can begin, isn't it, to give this interpretation. And now we see Pharaoh shares with Joseph his dreams. Just go back there to verse 17. Genesis 41, verse 17, it says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they were had to eat in them, but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. So I awoke, and I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk full and good. And behold, seven ears withered, thin, and blasted with the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. Pharaoh now relates his dreams, exactly as we read earlier couple more details added in but he relates his dreams again to Joseph and he finishes by reiterating he says there was none that could declare it unto me he reiterates that man had didn't have the answer and now he's relying upon Joseph's God isn't he to give him the answer and so we see fourthly now that Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream verse 25 says and Joseph said unto Pharaoh The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there came up, sorry, there come, There come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for for that the dream was doubled under Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. You know, after he hears Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph now is able to give a perfect interpretation because God is giving him the answer. And so he speaks uh, with God, giving him the, the revelation of what it means. Joseph gives the answer. And in verse 25, notice how he begins. He begins by making clear that these dreams are one. But he says, God hath showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. He begins by saying the dream is one. It all means the same thing. And he says, Joseph, uh, Joseph says, Pharaoh, God hath showed you what's about to happen, what he is about to do. And so even as he begins his interpretation, he once more points Pharaoh's attention to God. He again gets the spotlight off himself. 
He says the dream is from God and God is revealing what he is about to do in the years ahead. And then he proceeds in verse 26 to 31, as we just read, to give the interpretation. Now the first set of seven, of course, in each dream represents seven years of abundance. And that, that of course, then is followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph declares that this famine will consume the land and be very grievous. Verse 30 says, And there shall rise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Joseph declares this famine is going to consume the land. It's, it's going to be so grievous, there's going to be nothing left. This famine would bring great hardship to Egypt and, of course, to the surrounding regions, as we know. And it would be so bad that the prosperous years would be quickly forgotten. Verse 31 there, it says, And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following. In other words, all that they had in those seven years of plenty is quickly going to disappear. It's going to be quickly forgotten. And so the second year, seven years of famine if not prepared for, we're going to bring Egypt to its knees as a nation. You know, Joseph concludes his interpretation with verse 32, and he declares the thing is sure. It is going to happen. In verse 32, he says, And for that the dream was doubled under Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. He says, Pharaoh, the reason the dream was repeated to you is because it is established by God. You can't do anything to stop it. That's what he says here. It's going to happen. It's determined by God. It's in his will, his plan. It's going to come to pass. And what's more, he says at the end of verse, God will shortly bring it to pass. In other words, it's about to begin. The first seven years of plenty were on the horizon. They're about to begin. And so there's no time to waste. Preparations must be made for the years ahead. You know, Pharaoh, he'd been warned by God of what God is going to do. He'd been given a, a window into the next 14 years. Now, Pharaoh now has a responsibility, doesn't he, to act upon the message from God, to respond to the message. And we'll consider that next week. You know, here this morning we see God's timing is always best. You know, God had been preparing Joseph for this moment in his life when he would stand before Pharaoh. That's what God had been doing throughout all these years. God had been preparing him. Everything that happened in those 13 years was with this end goal in mind. You know, Joseph, he couldn't see the end, could he? Joseph, as he's praying and seeking the Lord, all he can see is what's in front of him. He didn't know what was ahead. He had the dream when he was 17. He had an idea where God was taking him, but he didn't know how God was going to get him there. He had to just trust by faith that God knew what he was doing throughout all those years. You know, everything that happened to him in those 13 years had a purpose. And it prepared him for this day, this moment when he was called to stand before Pharaoh. That's what God was doing. God was preparing him for it. It was a long game, wasn't it? It was a long game, 13 years of preparation 13 years of training, if you like, before God used him on this day. Of course, God would use him in the years ahead. He was preparing him for this moment. So that as he stood before Pharaoh, Joseph was ready to serve the Lord. He was ready. 
And you know, as he stood before Pharaoh, Joseph's only concern in that moment was not himself. His only concern was the glory of God. You know, as he speaks to Pharaoh, he continually points his attention back to God, doesn't he? You know, in verse 16, it says, God shall give, answer, uh, give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Verse 25, it says, God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verse 32, and that, for, that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. All the way through, Joseph keeps, says, keeps saying, God, God is doing this. God is bringing this to pass. You see, Joseph is determined that God be glorified. And beloved as believers, we must likewise learn to be patient, learn to wait upon the Lord, understand that he is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. There's a reason why that trial is continuing on. There's a reason why we're going through this. God has a plan. He has an end game. We need to trust that God is sovereign, trust that his timing is best, and, beloved, seek to always glorify God. And whatever we say and whatever we do, give God the glory. Because God is in control. And God is the one who deserves all the praise and all the glory for everything that happens in our lives and every moment of service that he gives us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you again for your servant, Joseph. We thank you, Lord, for this, this young man and his patience to wait upon you through such a, a long trial of faith. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that as he stood before Pharaoh, Lord, he gave all glory to you. Lord, may you help us in our own lives to be patient, to wait upon you, and, Lord, to always glorify you, give glory to you, point others to see you, to see your hand, to see your might, to see you in your word. Lord, may you bless as we close, bless as we depart from this place. In Jesus' name we pray.